Y'all hear me in the back? Yes, okay, good, good. Recognize we do have some new faces out there. So if you're new today, I'm Pastor Brian White. I'm the senior pastor here at St. Peter's, and it's great to have you here with us this morning. As Pastor Kevin was just reminding us as we begin worship today, this is Trinity Sunday. So as we walk through together through the church calendar, which helps us remember some of the most important things that we believe and some of the heroes of our faith as followers of Jesus today, we are going to be thinking more about the Trinity this morning. And I realize that for some of us here, thinking about the Trinity can feel like thinking maybe about a, a kind of abstract uh, theological concept that doesn't feel really significant to you. And you might be wondering how it matters in your everyday life. It's been said before that the Trinity can kind of be like one of those tools that you might have in your tool shed that you go out and, and we pull it out once a year and use it or focus on it, but then we put it back and we don't know what to do with it the rest of the year. Sometimes the, the Trinity can feel like that. If that's you this morning, I want to assure you, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, understanding the Trinity can be really important at least for two reasons. One, as we're going to see this morning, I hope, um, understanding the Trinity, understanding God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can actually help us better understand ourselves, why we're wired the way that we do. Why, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we enjoy certain things that we enjoy? It really can help us grasp ourselves better. But then, of course, understanding God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how he's been revealed in the Bible also helps us under, understand him better. And we, we want to understand God as he's, shown ourself, as he's shown himself to us. So that's why we're going to get into this this morning. And we're going to look at this specifically this morning in four parts. Here's what we're going to do. One, we're going to look at just a bit of a quick reminder, quick Trinity 101. What is it that we're talking about when we talk about the Trinity? Two, where does it come from? How is it that we get this idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Three, what does it teach us about ourselves? And then finally, what does it tell us about God? What are we to know about God or at least two unique things we can know about God as we learn about him being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But before we get into that, let's pray. Father, we ask that now you would come and by the power of your Spirit that you would please teach us as we meditate upon you, as we think uh, more closely about and upon your word that we might grasp more of you and faithfully love and obey you. And in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So first, what is it? What is the Trinity? The word, as we know, Trinity is used to, we've said before, to describe these, these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And, and some of you may be wondering, what does it mean that we have one God in three persons? Let, let's, let's start out specifically what does it not mean to say that we are Trinitarian uh, as followers of Jesus? It does not mean that we worship three different gods. So we don't. Do you know there are others that look at Christianity and would claim that we, we do actually worship three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as separate people? That's not what Christianity teaches. We, we, we believe that we worship one God, three persons, with one essence, and some of you might be wondering, what, 
what do we exactly mean in a statement like that? When we say persons, and I admit this is a hard thing for us to get our minds around, trying for us to comprehend the Trinity is incredibly complex. But when we say three persons, we don't mean persons in the way that you and I normally talk about people in terms of distinct individuals or beings. We we talk about them as as being three, or the, the Bible, I should say, talks about persons as having three different centers of consciousness. So that's the who of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, but being one being. They're one essence. That, uh, this is the, the what of the Trinity. When it comes to their nature, they're indistinguishable. They're the same. And so the Christian God is not a one hand. The, the Christian God's not what some people would call unipersonal. We can, we can grasp what that means. It's, it's not the Christian understanding is not one person, like, like Allah. That's what Muslims believe about the nature of Allah, that he is one person. And he's not also, a, the Christian God, a God of three persons, sorry, three separate gods. We're not polytheists as believers of the Bible, but one God, three persons. And I know that's very complex. If you'd like to talk about that more afterwards, I'd love to, to think about it more with you. But, but that's what we're talking about when we get into the Trinity and the Scriptures. Now, for the sake of brevity, the next question I'm going to take up, uh, and we won't spend very long on this, but where does this come from? And that might sound simple, but some of you, if you've had kind of apologetic arguments with other people, I know I had some of these experiences when I was working with college students, they would say, well, you know what? The Bible, if you do a word search, and this is a wonderful thing about computers these days, when you want to look up every time a certain word comes up in the Bible, if you do a word search on Trinity in the Bible, you know how many results you're going to get? Zero. It's not in there. But we've got to remember, just because a word specifically is absent does not mean that the concept is absent itself. And, and tr- the word Trinity is just a term that Christians have used from the beginning in order to describe the fact that God reveals himself at different places in the Bible as being three persons. So where do we find it? We're going to move through this pretty quickly. And one of the important things that we need to remember as we think about looking at the Bible and looking at the Trinity is that when the Trinity does come up, the Trinity is normally an essential background part of the passage but it's not normally the thing that is being addressed in any passage itself. So it's been described before as like a prominent building that's maybe in the background always of a place where we live or where we work. It's always there. And at any given point, someone could come along and say, have you noticed that? But it's not the thing that we're focusing on. That's often how we see the Trinity present in the scriptures. So now... Just as an example, we're actually going to open up. I know it's not one of our readings this morning, but we're going to open up real quick um, to page 835 of the Bibles in your seats. This is the Great Commission. I know most of you know it. If you just want to read um, from your own Bible, of course, you're more than welcome to do that. Again, Matthew 28, page 835. And, and just as we're looking at the Scriptures and seeing how... How do we know that God is showing himself in this fashion? Starting, I'll start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, words that I know most of us all know, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so think about this just for a second. Here's Jesus. He's with his followers, the disciples, and he's telling them they're supposed to go out across the world. They're supposed to make more disciples. And he says, when you do this, part of this is going to include the ritual of baptizing them specifically in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now think about those words just for a second. Think, of, think specifically about the idea of a name and how important a name is. Think about, think about how awkward it can be when someone habitually gets your name wrong. You ever had that experience? I fear as I give this example, I've done this with some of y'all. And so I'm really sorry. Like that's just part of this. I've got to own up to that. It's really awkward when someone gets our name wrong. And you know, the first time, you know, you give them a little grace. Um, the second time, you kind of are awkwardly holding back your frustration. The third time, you're making kind of that key decision, do I actually say something or I just let it go? And then so, for sometimes, you kind of get months into it, and the person's still calling you the wrong name. And at this point, um, it feels really awkward because you feel very passive-aggressive if you say something, but you just want to be called your name. Why is that such a big deal to us? Because names are significant. And did you notice here when Jesus is saying to the disciples that when someone is as identified as a follower of me, when they go through this ritual of baptism, they're to be baptized in the name. But notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, baptize them in the name of God. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we are baptized, when someone... Is, has, has made a commitment to follow Christ. They, we are going through this public affirmation of our faith. We are being connected to the Trinity. We are identifying ourselves with the Trinity. And so this is just one of the many places in the Bible that we can see the Trinity being referred to. One of the, probably the top three quotes of Jesus in the Gospels. And if we were to take a, a tour of the Bible we would, we would find references to the Trinity all over the place. We, we know, for example, about the language of the plurality of God. Some of you, you know those words from, from Genesis 1.26, when what does God say as he's making the world? And God said, let us make man in our image. Okay, there, there, there's an us there, and what's going on? Okay, there, more than just God the Father is present in creation. You remember in verse... Um, Genesis 1-2, it talks the Spirit hovering over the waters. Some of you have been here for the last several weeks, have been a part of our series in Colossians. And you remember what it said about Jesus in Colossians? That the world was created in and through and for him. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of them present at creation. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Remember that scene of Jesus being baptized all three persons of the Trinity present. So we've got Jesus being baptized himself. It says the Spirit is descending on him like a dove. And then the Father speaks. And what does he say? This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Over and over again. The word Trinity might not be being used, but there's no question 
we not only read about God being described as one, as many of you know in places like Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one, but at the same time, it's being described as one, one God of three persons all throughout the scriptures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm not going to spend much more time on that today, and I do that because I know no, most of you are already convinced that this is a, a scriptural thing, and it was not something that was invented in dark, smoke-filled rooms in the early church, okay, as some of you may have read about. Instead, what I want to do for the rest of our time is actually raise the, the so what question. Okay, that's nice. Trinity's a nice thing. And if I got Christianity for Dummies at Barnes & Noble, I'd probably mention that towards the beginning. What matters? Why, why should I even care about the Trinity? And as we said at the beginning, the Trinity helps us understand ourselves more and it helps us understand God more. First, let's think, our, let's think about how the Trinity and really grasping what's being talked about here under, helps us understand ourselves more. One of the interesting things is you start to understand the, the nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit relating to one another is, is when we can grasp what's going on, it explains so much of why we as human beings are wired the way that we are. The, the, the fact that we are made for relationship with people, that we desire to connect with other people. Let me tell you a story about a time when um, I really desired to connect with other people and I wasn't able to. So some of you have heard, I was living in England uh, several years ago, and a girl that I knew uh, from the States that had an old friend, she had grown up in Dallas. While I was um, over there, she had met a guy in a museum in Switzerland and married him. And she moved to Switzerland, started a whole new life. I was living in England. I had six weeks on my hands. And I reached out and said, hey, can I come say hello to y'all? And she said, come on over. So I said, great. I mean, it was cheap flights. I'm not, probably not going to be flying to Switzerland too often once I get back to the States. So I jump on a plane. I get over there. And I find out that one of the best ski resorts in the Alps is located about two hours away. It's a place called Verbier. My British friends, it's where all the posh people go skiing when they have the time. And I really wanted to go with them. They couldn't go because they had to work. It was, a work, it was a weekday, and, and they were going to be in the office. And so what did I do? I, I said, okay, fine. I got a bucket list, and skiing in the Alps is certainly on there. So I got a bunch of equipment I got on a, that I borrowed from them, got on a train. And three hours later that morning, there I am in the Alps. Okay, I'm, I'm standing at like 10,000 feet high, the top of the Alps. I'm looking over Mont Blanc. It's unbelievable. One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And on one hand, I was mesmerized. And at the same time, you know what? There was a part of me that was sad. You know why I was sad? I was surrounded by people. I didn't know any of them. I didn't have anyone to share this with. I didn't have friends that I could share this with. I didn't have family. You know what I did? I got out my iPhone, I tried to connect to the Wi-Fi, this little cafe right there, and I took a picture of the Alps, and I sent it to my parents immediately. I said, look, I'm in the Alps. Can you believe this? Why did I do that? Because isn't it true that there's something about us that wants to experience the greatest of our joys with other people? Separate example, I know of a guy that said the worst day of his life was the day that he hit a hole-in-one on a golf course. You know why that happened? Because he was by himself. 
They, they, statistically, it's argued that the average golfer has a chance of, of 1 in 12,000 to hit a hole-in-one on their own. He, he hit it. It was, it was an unbelievable experience. Nobody was there. Honestly, none of his friends probably believe him. Why did he want to share that with other people? It's because there is something about being able to connect with other people. There, there's something about our greatest joys in life, whether that's having a baby or watching our kids graduate or um, getting married or, or watching friends or people get married. There's something about our greatest joys where we can't experience them to the max, can we, unless we're able to enjoy this with other people, to, to do it in the company of the people that we love most. Now, I think that makes sense when you think about the fact that we are made in the image of, of, of God, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a God that's relational in himself. Remember Genesis 1.26? We focused on the us earlier. Now remember the image. Let us make man in our image. So we know that from the beginning, we as human beings have been made to be like God. And one of the ways that we're made like him is we are wired for relationship with others. He is, he is interpersonal within himself. And that's why, I don't know if you've read some of the interesting liter literature um, that's written by people that have done hospice care or that have been with others at the end of their lives and have shared about what those people speak about at those moments. You know what they don't speak about? They don't speak about their iPhones. And they don't speak about they wish they had a bigger house or they wish that they had spent more time in the office. You know what the literature says that they talk about? They talk about the people that they were closest with. They, and, and, and they either giving thanks or the regrets they had with those people. Maybe their loved ones, you know, friends or, or family, siblings, maybe their spouse. They talk about those things because we as human beings were made in the image of one who is relational in himself, the triune God. That's why we go on Facebook or Instagram and share things that we love. Okay? It's, it's because we want others to somehow share this thing with us. So that's what it reveals about us. Finally, what does the Trinity reveal to us about God? And I'm not going to pretend to exhaust this right now. I mean, we could talk a very long time about this. Just two things that are worth noting as we think about God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why does the fact that God reveals himself in this way make him unique? One reason that it's important that he does this is because only by God being three persons, or you could argue pluripersonal, only by being multiple persons can he bear the, the characteristic, can he intrinsically bear the one thing about God that all people would agree that we would hope that God exhibits if he is real. And that is the quality of love. How many times have you even heard people who don't believe in God say, well, I could never believe, for example, in the Christian God or the God of the Bible because I believe in a God of love. Most of us can resonate with that. But here's the challenge with this. Only a God of multiple persons, or that is pluripersonal, as clumsy as that sounds, can actually be intrinsically loving. And this is going to get a little abstract just for a moment, but I think you'll be able to follow me. Follow me for just one second. 
Because love only exists when there is more than one person. Someone cannot be loving unless there is another person there. So if, if God were unipersonal, if God was just one person, as, as, as Muslims do believe about Allah, then he never could have been described as being loving or exhibiting love or receiving love before he created us. He could not be described as being loving from the beginning of eternity. This is really important. And C.S. Lewis, as normal, puts it better than I or others of us could, so I'm going to read what he says about this. He says, The words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something one person has for another person. If God were a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. And so think about what Lewis is saying here. If God is one person, we, we could never be able to describe him in the way that almost all of us would agree that we would prefer to be able to describe him. He, he, we might be able to say that he is a God that currently shows love, but we couldn't say that he was loving from the beginning of time, that he is in himself a God of love. But not the God of the Bible, not the triune God of the Bible. He has always been a God of love. And what that means is from the, from the beginning of the universe, he has always had the traits that we would desire for a God that we worship to have of being faithful, of being loyal, of being honest. He has all the traits that we need multiple persons to have. He has always been loving. He always will be loving. That's one reason that this really matters. But secondly, the, the Trinity doesn't just teach us that God is loving within himself. It also teaches something that's incredibly humbling and very freeing. And that is that, is, that God is not needy. God's not relational. He's not relationally needy. He, he's, he's not like other gods. And, and what do we mean by this? Remember, we've been saying that God has always had perfect community with him, within himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have always been together. They have always been delighting in one another. And so when God created us, what this means is, this is really important, God did not have to create us as people in order to meet, and sorry, in order to meet a need that God had relationally. When he created us, um, he was never bored beforehand. He was never lacking anything when he made us. And, and, and what that lets us know is he didn't have to, he didn't have to make us Sorry, he didn't need us um, and then as a result decide on a whim that he was going to create us because God was lonely. Now, I've had, if you're, if you're struggling to follow this, I had a friend that described it this way. He said, thinking about this, is, it's kind of like when you're little and you discover for the first time that your parents were married before you were born. And that's kind of a new concept. And, and, you, and you start looking at pictures and you see pictures from the wedding and you see pictures from them maybe in their first apartment, and they're smiling. And, and then it clicks all of a sudden for you that you're actually maybe in the way that you thought you were, not the source of your parents' happiness, but you're the product of your parents' happiness. You are the result of it. That is what we as Christians believe about the Trinity. We weren't created because God 
needed to feel better about himself, or he was an extrovert on the Myers-Briggs test. We were created because God had full delight and enjoyment within himself, and it was out of the overflow, out of him wanting to share what already he had within himself that he made all of creation. Can you believe that? That's what classic Christian teaching is about the Trinity. It's unbelievable. And so the, the good news about this, the fact that, that God didn't create us out of need, is that God was never deficient in any way before he made us. And most importantly, a God that was deficient before he made us could never have the power to satisfy us. But if God was, was fully loving and, and fully pleased and satisfied within himself, then that means that he has the power to satisfy us, not just now, but he has the, sat- the power to satisfy us forever. That's the God that we worship. And so as we close this morning, as we think about, I hope you've been encouraged that um, the Trinity is not just um, one of the first concepts in a class at Beeson for those who are training in ministry. Yeah, the, the Trinity is a big deal, and it's significant for us. It, it helps us begin to grasp why, the architecture behind our wiring. Why is it the way that we are? And what's unique about this God that we worship? And I just wanted to close as I was praying and thinking about this and ask, um, is there a person within the Trinity that you tend to neglect? Some of us from, come, come from traditions that believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Very little talk about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's kind of talked about like Star Wars, the Force. And, and some sort of unspoken thing that well, we can't really define. Do you know that the Bible uses the word him? The, the third person of the Trinity. Others of us, I, I think personally, I, I'm open to being totally wrong about this. I think most of us can appreciate the, the, particularly the role of, of Jesus, the, the son as our savior, as our justifier. I think a lot of us struggle either with remembering the power the indwelling and the significance of the Holy Spirit, as Kevin reminded us last week, but also the fact that God is our loving Father. He's not described in our, you know, the the word centurion is used in the Gospels. It's not used to describe God. He's not a drill sergeant. He's not like a teacher waving his or her finger at us. He's described as a loving Father who lavishes his love on us. As you come to the table this morning, maybe consider, is there one of these that God is wanting to reveal more about to you as you grow in your understanding of him? And then on this Trinity Sunday, let us appreciate all of whom God is for us as a father and the son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.